Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kyle, and I get to be the pastor at Regen and at Grace Church, and it, it's good to be with you. I am missing you. I am missing you in a time when uh, we've just heard, as Steph said earlier, that the stay-at-home order has been extended through the end of this month, and so our hopes to be back together in some way, shape, or form continue to kind of move later down. But out of love for the most vulnerable among us, out of love for others, uh, we're willing to comply with uh, instructions from governing authorities and our bishop. And listen, in the in the means in, in in the midst of this, though, what we do know, what I know as your pastor, is that the weight of this time continues to bear down, that the weight of this time continues to uh, create chaos and distress, and so. While we can't be together in this room, there are some other ways that we can. So at the end of the sermon, uh, we're going to create, uh, we're going to try something. We're going to try something new. We're going to create a space for you to receive prayer. So whether you're a part of Grace or Regen, another church, you happen to be scrolling by, if you need prayer at the end of the sermon, Stephanie will post in the YouTube comments and in the Facebook comments of the live stream a link to a Zoom meeting room. Zoom's a free online platform. You could download it on your phone right now. Um, and while that's going, uh, and, and at the end of the sermon, uh, you can join that room, and we have some prayer teams ready to pray with you and for you wherever you are. And so that'll be at the end of the sermon. There'll be a link. If Zoom is on your phone or your tablet or your laptop, you can just click, click that link. It'll take you right to a room, and I'll remind you about that. But the link won't go live till the end of the sermon as a way to even respond to what God is saying as we look today at 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3 and verses uh, 11 and 12. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and verses 11 and 12. Dallas Willard, one of the great Christian writers and thinkers of the 20th century, writes, spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or will. It is being formed or transformed in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power, power of Christ. Dallas Willard devoted his life and his thinking to the concept of spiritual formation, which he says is the process of transformation at our innermost level in such a way that it naturally expresses the deeds of Christ and done in the power of Christ. But, but notice that Willard says something interesting in this quote. He says that spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ does these things. What he's getting at is the reality that we are all being spiritually formed all of the time. We are being spiritually formed after the image of Jesus, or we are being spiritually formed after the image of some other idol in our culture, be it money or success or sexual prowess or being a well-respected community leader. Spiritual formation, the transformation of our inward lives, is happening all the time. 
As followers of Jesus, we practice spiritual disciplines in the quiet place, reading scripture, prayer, fasting, giving. We do these things to be transformed in our inward being to be like Jesus. And we gather to in small communities and in large gatherings, or we used to be able to. And all of these practices form our inward selves, our heart, our spirit, our will, so that it naturally does, we naturally do what Jesus does. In other words, the goal of spiritual formation is that you begin to naturally do what Jesus would do if he were living your life. A few weeks ago, we began teaching through and being instructed by Peter's first letter to Christians that are scattered across modern-day Turkey, Christians that he calls sojourners and aliens and exiles. They are not literally exiles. They don't have a passport from one country while being forced to live in another, but they are spiritual exiles. When they were born again into God's family to a living hope, they became, in that moment, Peter says, spiritual exiles. They became people whose true home is not found in this world. It's heaven. And they are people who wander scattered far from home. We, too, face a spiritual exile. We have been exiled to our own homes, exiled from our normal pattern of living. And this exile, again, we've heard will continue at least through the end of May. And even as some businesses open up and take small steps toward normalcy, we have come to realize that this experience, this experience of wilderness wandering in COVID-19, has made us realize more clearly than ever that this is not our home. It has increased in us in the midst of the crazy and the overwhelm and the insanity of homeschooling and the disappointment of vacation canceled, vacations canceled and weddings postponed and jobs lost and businesses threatened. In the midst of all of that chaos, it has created in us a fresh longing for our true home, a deeper hunger for our true home. First Peter is a guidebook for exiles. It is a guidebook for those of us living far from home. And in First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and verses 10 through 11, Peter is giving his readers then, his readers now, a guide to spiritual formation in exile. How we learn to do naturally, without thinking about it, how we learn to do naturally to take on the character of Christ to make it so that our inner life expresses the character of Jesus. That's what these passages are all about. And so I want us to look very closely today at verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 10 through 11. Let's start in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And it says this. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So put away all malice. And all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, that is the milk, you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is talking about how we have been born again into a living hope, and that living hope places us in God's family. Last week, we looked at how being part of God's family means dwelling in God's house, that we are both members of his family and and being built together into a spiritual house, even a temple. But 
I, I wanted to save these verses that we're looking at for a separate sermon because there's just so much rich truth and helpful insight for our exile in these passages. And, and as Peter is talking about spiritual family, remember that's the dominant theme of chapters 1 and 2. In the, in the context of spiritual family, in the context of being born again, he calls us newborn infants, which is exactly what someone is after they are born. When we are born again, we become spiritual newborn infants. He's talking about spiritual family. Uh, he's talking about behaviors that kill spiritual family. And so look at back at verses uh, 22 and 23 of chapter 1. This is all kind of setting up the context because Peter has one sustained train of thought kind of going on. Verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Remember, this idea of loving one another as brotherly love. That was not a random word choice, but intentional to develop this theme. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That, per that, that imperishable seed, the word of God, has caused us to be born again as we heard it preached, as we received it. It caused the, his first readers and us, when that happened to us, to be born again. And now, now we're in this family as spiritual infants. And Peter says, first things first, being part of our family means loving one another sincerely and earnestly from a pure heart, which means putting away malice, deceit, envy, slander, and hypocrisy. What do these words mean? Sometimes we get these lists of words in the New Testament and we say, okay, well, those are all bad words. I probably don't do those. Okay, good. Next thing. Let's just stop and reflect for a second. Because he says these behaviors reflect a heart that is not sincere in its love for one another. Malice, malice is the desire to harm other people, which often hides behind apparently good actions. You are practicing malice when you're acting nice, but in your heart, hoping destruction or harm to come to the person that you're thinking about. Deceit is the deliberate attempt to mislead other people by telling lies. Envy is the longing for something someone else has. Slander is literally talking down other people. When you say, I don't like that person, when you say, I don't like this about that person, the Bible's only definition for that isn't being honest or authentic. The Bible's definition for that is slander. Slander has no place in God's family because, and if only because, that's exactly how Peter says non-Christians speak of Christians in 1 Peter 3.16. When we slander one another, when we talk down one another, what we're actually doing is behaving like non-Christians, as like we're not part of the family. And what all of these behaviors have in common is an outward appearance that is different from our inward motivation. That's why Peter warns against hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a kind of deceit in which you pretend to be different than what you really are. Especially, especially pretending that you're acting from a good motive when you're actually acting from selfish desire. Peter is saying these behaviors, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, Form in us the image of the world, not the image of Jesus. When we deceive one another, when we slander one another, we actually show more family loyalty to the world than to our spiritual family. 
When we view our lives through the lens of spiritual formation, we suddenly realize that every word we speak is a word that forms us and shapes us into who we are becoming. So the antidote to becoming something less than the identity God has given us, the the antidote to becoming who God has called us to be is found in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. Peter says that we are, instead of speaking with malice and envy, instead of operating with hypocrisy and deceit, he says that we are to long for pure spiritual milk like newborn infants. This is a longing that is supposed to stay with us our whole lives. Now, in Hebrews and 1 Corinthians, the authors there chastise their readers for sticking with milk when they should have gone to solid foods. They, they've not matured. Uh, Peter doesn't so much say that as much as he says, whatever your diet is, whether it's the pure milk of your new, newborn spiritual infancy or the meat of your spiritual adulthood, there should be a longing that follows you all of the time. He says that there should be a longing for pure spiritual milk. And that word spiritual, we're getting technical here. The word spiritual is the word logikon in Greek, which borrows from chapter 1, verse 23, the living and abiding word or logos of God. It borrows from 125, where Peter mentions the logos, the word preached to us. In other words, Peter is building this comparison. He said, listen, newborns long for milk, right, Holden? Holden is nodding. Newborns long for milk. It is a longing they express frequently. It is a longing that they express loudly at times. And that longing for spiritual milk that newborns have is the kind of longing that is to follow us our whole life. We are to have a newborn's appetite for spiritual milk, for the word of God, our whole lives. We may grow out of baby food and into adulthood food, but that longing is something that we should never outgrow. In Peter's imagination, scripture isn't something we read only or something we hear only. In Peter's imagination, scripture is something we ingest. It is spiritual food for our formation in the way of Jesus which is why the psalmist says in 119.103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, a lifelong ingestion of scripture is how we practice counterformation and formation into the way of Jesus. See, the world is always going to try to form you and I into more malicious people, more hypocritical people, more envious people. Is this starting to sound like social media or is it just me? But a lifelong diet of scripture is a practice of counterformation. I'm not going to be formed like the world wants me to be formed. I'm going to be formed by the word of Jesus. I'm going to take on his character. My inner life is going to naturally, without thinking, become like his inner life. It's an act of formation. So Peter offers this moment to reflect. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up into salvation. In other words, don't just stay immature. Don't walk into church a spiritual adolescent when you should have a long time ago become a spiritual adult. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, if indeed 
you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter uses this language of food, and he invites not self-doubt, but self-reflection. This is important because there are always those among us wrestling with this question, am I really saved? And, and if they can't feel a confident answer, sometimes the enemy gets into people's heads and gets in people to heart, hearts, and maybe I haven't tasted. They read a verse like this, maybe I haven't tasted. Maybe that's why I sin. Maybe that's why I forget God. Maybe that's why I feel like I lose a passion. Maybe that's why I feel like the fire of my youth or a previous season is gone. But let me say, let me just say this as an encouragement. If you're someone who wonders, am I really saved? What if I've lost it? What if something's happened to me? Unbelievers, people far from Jesus, aren't going through their day wondering if they've lost their salvation. This isn't an invitation to self-doubt. It's an invitation to self-reflection. It's Peter's way of asking, how is your appetite? How is your appetite? Is your appetite for the word outpaced by your appetite for what your friends have that you don't? Is your appetite for talking of your brothers and sisters, talking your brothers and sisters down, is that more tasty to you than your appetite for being with God? How's your appetite? But here's the thing. It's not so simple as just deciding in the middle of Kyle's sermon to like the taste of scripture more than the taste of a slanderous comment. It's, it's not so simple as deciding that you like the taste of a deceitful word on your tongue. Uh, less than you like scripture. We have these moments when we come to malice far easier than mercy, when we come to uh, envy far more easily than encouragement. And in those moments, Peter's trying to help us understand why that is. And in chapter 2, verse 11, jump down now, he explains why that is. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, check this out, which wage war against your soul. The reasons we have moments when slander is sweeter than silence and when envy is more enjoyable than encouragement is because we are at war. We are at war. The passions of our flesh wage war against our souls. We are exiles and sojourners, Peter says, as if to remind us that we walk on enemy territory. Remember that we are always, 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 always being spiritually formed. Every Netflix show we binge, every Amazon purchase we make, every Facebook post we share, every word we speak, every thought that crosses our mind is both evidence of and further progress in spiritual formation, either in becoming like Jesus or in becoming like the world. And the only question is if we, the only question is that we have to ask is, is who are we becoming? Who are we becoming in this war? Am I becoming more like the world? Am I becoming more consumeristic, more patriotic, more self-righteous, more sexually liberated, or am I becoming more allegiant to Jesus? Am I becoming more simple in my living? Am I becoming more humble? Am I becoming more self-controlled? The world and the flesh are constantly seeking to form us, and our tendencies to anger or malice, our habits of pornography or sexual brokenness are, sure, psychologically explained and given definition by our past and our upbringing. But Peter says that the enemy uses our flesh and grabs all of those things, our past, our proclivities, our habits, It grabs all of those and wages war against our souls. A war that seeks to drag us away 
from Jesus. And a few weeks ago, we entered this wilderness. And remember, this wilderness of COVID-19 is like all wildernesses. It is a place of temptation and trial and testing. It is a time when the enemy himself would throw everything he has at us to distract and discourage and deceive wherever possible, destroy. Let me say that again. This time of, of wilderness wandering, the reason that this is so hard is because there is a war going on for your soul. The enemy in this place of wilderness trial and temptation and testing is seeking to deceive, is seeking to discourage, is seeking to distract, and wherever possible to destroy. And so let me use the words that Peter speaks to you just for a second. Listen, beloved, Beloved, beloved of God, beloved of me. These are profoundly difficult days. These are hard times. These are hard times for you. They are not hard because you are weak or lazy or busy or overwhelmed. They are hard because every day you wake up in a war zone that has overtaken your home. And Peter's invitation is to look again at who you are and whose you are. You've been born again to a living hope. You are sojourners and exiles longing for your true home. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place where God dwells. Friends, it's time to go to war. We're in like week, this is like I think our eighth Sunday of doing this. We're beginning like week seven or eight of quarantine, and we're starting to get lost in the fog of war. And and my encouragement to you, my invitation, my challenge is to go back to the pure milk of Scripture, which Paul also says is the sword of the Spirit. Praise is our weapon. Prayer is defense. And the enemy's tactic in this time is to get you to use your personal time with God. He wants that time to be the first thing to go. Because my work needs my attention or my business or, uh, or my wife or my kids or all of the other things crying out for your attention. And I know these temptations because every morning I go up to my office and there's my computer and there's my Bible. And it's like a choice every, every morning. There's emails over here, but, but, there's, but there's things to write. And what I keep finding is that God is not only multiplying my time, he's also multiplying my peace because I'm showing up for war. It's profoundly difficult. It's profoundly difficult, and I'll give you an encouragement of how to enter into what God's already done in a minute, but... Look at what happens in verse 12 of this chapter. See, what we think, the other thing the enemy likes to get us to think is that um, my spiritual life is private. And listen, it is profoundly personal, but it is not private. Walking with Jesus is profoundly personal, but the last thing it is is private. In fact, it takes place before a watching world. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those that, that is, the non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, all of this talk about our behavior and the war against our souls has ramifications for our witness in the world. 
How we engage with Jesus, how we engage with one another matters because it either causes Gentiles, non-Christians, to either take a step to or a step away from Jesus. Even that word in, in the early verses, hypocrisy. Uh, back in the early 2000s, Barna did this national study of how non-Christians think of Christians. And one of the top, if not the number one thing that people in our culture who are far from Jesus say of Christians is that they are hypocritical. Their values that they trumpet uh, to vote, that they trumpet on Fox News, that they trumpet in media, that they trumpet in their personal lives. It, it is all hypocrisy is what they see. Our behavior, our behavior with one another, how I love Art and Pam and Holden and Joey and Julia, how I love my family, how I love our church, uh, how I engage with Jesus personally has ramifications for my friends, my family, my neighbors who don't know Jesus. Peter has so heavily focused on our spiritual formation and our identity as members of God's families and how we treat one another to prepare us for the next part of what he wants to teach us, which is that all of these things matter when we enter government, when we enter marriage, when we enter slavery or the workplace. These places are not just places of formation, but they're places of witness. In fact, chapter 2, verse 12, this idea of like make your conduct honorable sets up a lot of the rest of the letter because Peter wants to address slaves and masters. He wants to address how we engage with government, how we engage in marriage. We're actually going to jump to the marriage passage next week. Women, get excited. I'm going to beat your husbands up. Peter says, in particular in verses 18 through 25, when Peter's building this exploration of slaves and masters, he's telling these slaves who are treated unjustly that not only is this place a place of formation, it is also a place of witness. It is their opportunity to show their masters, as unjust as they are, what it is like uh, to bear witness to Jesus in the midst of that relationship. The passages on marriage and government and even church leadership in 1 Peter 5 apply chapter 2, verse 12 in particular cases. But hear me, spiritual formation following the way of Jesus is intensely personal, but it is not private. Following the way of Jesus is intensely personal, but it is not private. Instead, our spiritual formation, Peter says, our honorable conduct before God and before others may be the thing that causes them to glorify God. That is draw close to him. So let me see if I can summarize this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, and chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 are all about spiritual formation in exile. It's about the people we are becoming as we long for home. It's about putting away behaviors that damage our spiritual siblings and discredit our witness to a watching world. It's about longing after truth, ingesting it, having a longing for our whole lives. It's about how there are these moments of war when we follow Jesus that invite us to either step away from or step toward Jesus. And how we live these things out either form us into the way of Jesus or form us in the way of the world. There is no standing still. There is no value-neutral value act as a follower of Jesus. Everything I do, everything I say, everything I click, every vote that I make, every show that I watch, every book that I read, every thought that I think, every friendship I pursue, every person that I date, all of those things either form me more profoundly after Jesus or after the world. 
And our response to that, these moments of war, these moments of formation, is not, the so what of my sermon today is not, go ahead, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and see if you make it to heaven. May the force be with you. The message of this sermon is to pursue that which Jesus so graciously purchased for us. You see, there's this little line back in chapter 1. He says, knowing, starting in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that, like a lamb without blemish or spot, he's speaking of the completed work of Jesus. When Jesus uh, breathed his last breath, he declared, it is finished. And the moment we place our faith in Jesus, our salvation, Jesus who earned our salvation freely applies it to us. The minute we place our faith in Jesus, this Jesus who earned our salvation for us applied it to us. But Dallas Willard has this really wise line that the gospel is opposed to earning but not to effort. I'm not inviting you into the war. I'm not inviting you into spiritual formation so that you can hope to get yourself into heaven. I'm inviting you to take up and take hold of the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you, to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of you to walk the road of formation even in these days. Faith is not uh, for regular days. It is not for when we go back to normal. Faith is for this moment right now. Our apprenticeship to Jesus in this crucible, in this test, is for right now. You're either being formed and becoming more like Jesus or not. But what I don't want you hearing in this sermon is that you have to earn it. What I want to invite you to do is not only rest in the completed work of Christ, but to take hold of it. Take hold of it, to to long for more, to grow up into your salvation because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Here's how I want to invite you to respond today. I, I want to invite you to respond by reflecting on your appetite. To reflect on your appetite, is it for scripture, is it for truth, is it for Jesus, is it for nearness to him, or is it for something else? I also want to invite you to step into a prayer room, to do something hard, to bring your battle of this week or the week ahead to one of your brothers and sisters so that they can be a priest for you. Remember, we looked at chapter 2 last week, it says we're a kingdom of priests so that they can represent God to you that they can take your concerns to God with you, not because they're more spiritual than you, but just because they're on the same road with you. Would you press into prayer? Steph's going to post the links in our YouTube comments and our Facebook comments now, and just by clicking it, you'll jump into a Zoom room and pray. If you're not a Zoomer, you could message us, and one of us will reach out and pray with you today. We're at war, and we're being formed, and this is so hard, and yet there is such riches and nourishment that comes from walking with Jesus, such power for mission. And I don't want us to miss out on that in that season. So let me pray for you as you reflect on your appetite and press into a prayer room. Father, thank you that you have sent Jesus who has earned our salvation for us, that it is not about me working hard to earn, but it is expending every effort to become more like Jesus. 
it is taking hold of that for which I have been taking hold of. It is walking in this up in and out lifestyle of Jesus. It is becoming more like him. Help me to experience the freedom and the peace and the grace that comes with that. Help our hearers to experience that too. As they press into prayer, I I just pray for those of you that know you should be in a prayer room, but you're afraid, so you don't want to do it, that you would leap over the wall of anxiety and press in. May you know him this week. May you be formed after his image. May you find freedom. In Jesus' name.